Ah, so, uh, yeah, and, but uh, Christmas has come and gone, and we look ahead to the new year, and I want to talk to you this morning uh, to start thinking about the new year, and the subject is spiritual appetite. If you've got the little uh, uh, sermon notes there in your bulletin, you probably want to use those and kind of follow along. Uh, there's no PowerPoint to, uh, to look at. Um, but I, I want to uh, uh, kind of walk through this. Now, Christmas time is a wonderful time of smells and meals and bounty and friends and, and now tight waistbands. Uh, I can remember my dad talking about uh, Christmas in about the 1930s when he was a kid. And what he got for Christmas was uh, an orange. And he would tell me he would carefully peel that orange you know, as a child, and this, is, this was the gift at Christmas time. And you can remember, this is up in Missouri, a long way from where oranges come from, and so this was a real delicacy. Carefully peel it, each section, taking each section apart, looking at how it was made, and tasting it and eating it, and just enjoying the taste of an orange. Now, many of you have orange trees in your yards, and you give them away. You try to find ways to get rid of them. And a lot of you don't eat many anymore because you've had so many here. And what's happened is you've gotten your fill of them. And they just don't have any appeal anymore. You know, that same thing can happen with spiritual things. You can get filled with it. You can get exposed to it. And you can lose a spiritual appetite for it. And so this morning, I'm speaking to the church about spiritual appetite and your appetite. Um, you recall in Luke uh, chapter 10, um, where um, Mary and Martha, in fact, I'll just flip over there in Luke chapter 10. Uh, Mary and Martha, they were, they were so excited because Jesus came to the house, and as he came to the house to see them, uh, they started preparations. Well, Martha, with her gift of service, she got the preparations was what mattered. You know, Christmas time, I mean, Jesus, here's Jesus, and man, he's, he's, she's getting ready for him. Mary, on the other hand, she said, uh, man, this is Christ right here. And she just sat at his feet. And you kind of hear the frustration out of Martha. Let's just kind of look at the... At the at what happened here in Luke 10, verse 38. Let's start there. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, now notice it, distracted by much serving. Man, she is baking the bread. She's grinding the flour. She is uh, killing the chicken. She is stewing the pot. She's cleaning the dishes. She's dusting the shelves. She is working because she's got house guests. Isn't, isn't, that, what, isn't that what you do? Yeah, same thing. Okay. Busy with all that, right? All right. At, but Martha was distracted, verse 40, with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. <coughs> Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, 
You're worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which was not to be taken away from her. So what was that good part? The good part was she was listening to the words of Christ. Not distracted by all the preparations and all the stuff. And you know, that can happen to us. We can get so full of things and so full of stuff and so full of doing things that we miss the thing that's the most important. And we can lose our spiritual appetite. Uh, in fact, look there in your, in your little syllabus at Proverbs 27.7. I have it printed there for you. It says, He who is full loathes honey, but to the hungry, even what is bitter tastes sweet. Even to the, to the hungry. Bitter. What's bitter tastes sweet. Can you, can you identify with that? Remember what it was like, you know, Christmas and Thanksgiving are meals that takes uh, seven or eight hours to prepare and 20 minutes to, di- to uh, destroy, <laughs> okay? And 20 minutes later, all of a sudden, all this stuff that smelled so good and looked so good, you look at these crumbs and you look at the empty pie plates and you go, oh, no, you know, I couldn't eat another bite. Because he that's full loathes even honey. Let's pause and pray. Father, help us now, Father, to see how we can get distracted. How easy it is to lose spiritual appetite. But Father, I pray, more importantly, that you'll help us to see how we can regain it, maintain it, and live it. That's my prayer this morning for us. And Father, draw those who need to be part of this fellowship to yourself as we extend an invitation to do so this service. In Christ's name, amen. When someone is full, when someone is full uh, of spiritual things and appetite, then what, what's it like? And Well, I've got eight things here for you that I just want to walk through with you real quick. The first one is murmuring. Murmuring about the church. Murmuring about its ministry and its program. Someone who is, who is full of, uh, spiritually full, and don't have any appetite for that, then all of a sudden then they start turning and looking at other things and they start murmuring and fussing and complaining about the ministry, its program, uh, and other things. And so murmuring about the church, that's one of the characteristics of somebody who has, has lost their spiritual appetite. A second quality is uh, finding fault with the gospel itself. There are some uh, who just find fault with the gospel itself. And, and it goes like this. Oh, man, this Christianity, it just seems so narrow. You know, you get around other folks who have no appetite for, for uh, the things of God. And so what happens is you start thinking like that, and you say, well, the gospel itself is kind of narrow. You mean to tell me there's only one way to get to heaven? I mean, I mean heaven is this mountain, and they got all these people from different angles trying to crawl this mountain and get to the top. It doesn't matter what path we use, we're all going to get to the top, right? Wrong. Wrong, wrong. I mean, that's a crazy, silly illustration. Particularly when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. And that no man, uh, emphasize, no man comes to the Father except through me. And some folks will find fault with Christianity or find even being around the church because they say it's too narrow. You know, well, I'm just as narrow as the Scripture. And, the, and Jesus himself said, Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and narrow is the door to eternal life. 
narrow, very small, and few there be that find it. Few. But you'll find folks who have no appetite, no spiritual appetite, will find fault with the gospel itself. Now, what's so amazing about the gospel itself is to think that God would provide a way, period. And, and the way is His own Son came and died on the cross. Now, that's a miracle, folks, when you think about that. But those who have no spiritual appetite will find fault even with the gospel. Uh, third, they'll find fault with its ministers. Folks who are kind of full of, well, I've got all I need. You know, I've read the Bible through once, and so, you know, I kind of got that licked. Okay, next, on the next one, you know, uh, War and Peace by Tolstoy. I'll start with that one. And so you start, you know, uh, if you have no spiritual appetite, you start finding fault with the ministers, you know. <coughs> if a minister speaks too long, then he's windy. If he speaks too softly, then he's uh, bashful. If he speaks with lofty words, then he's too high and mighty. If he speaks with common words like Dwight Moody, well, then he's, he's just too rough around the edges. And, uh, you know, there's always something. Um, it, it's either it's too hot in the building, it's too cold in the building. You know, you ought to come. Uh, to a church and bring a sweater with you. Those of you get kind of cold because it might be cold when you first get in here. I mean, that's the way air conditioning works. It, the room gets cold, and then when body heat in here, the body starts raising the temperature. So you might need a sweater instead of murmuring and complaining. But see, when you have no spiritual appetite, those kinds of things get in the way. You find fault with the ministers, the program, the church. You find fault with stuff when you don't have a spiritual appetite. There are some, uh, and by the way, the important thing is, um, when you find a fault with ministers, the important thing is, is the gospel being preached. Philippians 1.18 says this, the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Uh, our pastor in seminary, Paul Burleson, went to a, um, uh, a Bible conference one time, and he was sitting next to Miss Bertha Smith. And Miss Bertha Smith was, came out of the Shangtung Revival in China, uh, and one of the most godly people I've ever met. I mean, boy, talk about praying. She could pray a house down. Man, it was it, just a godly, godly woman. Uh, and had really tasted the grace of God in the Shangtung Revival. One of the few people. She was one of a handful of missionaries who were part of that. And Paul says, and he told me the story. He says, I'm sitting at this Bible conference, and we'd heard some great preachers. I mean, we heard some great preachers get up and give eloquent messages. And then he says there was one young up-and-comer, okay? And Paul's sitting there going, oh, how did he get on the dais? I mean, compared to, you know, all these others, you know, this guy, he just kind of, you know, he just, he just didn't quite, Paul was going, hmm, it just didn't quite hit the mark. And he looked over Miss Bertha, and she's just enraptured. She's sitting there looking. This is a lady who, who has just lived and walks with the Lord. And she looked at him, and she says, Paul, I believe that's the best message I think I've ever heard in my life. And he goes, really? And then he realized, he says, I'm spiritually full. I didn't have hungry. She's still hungry. For the things of God. It didn't matter how it was being preached or who did it. The fact is, the word was being taught 
and she just relished it. Okay. So some, number four, some have utter indifference to the gospel. There are some that are so, have no spiritual appetite, and they just ha- they're just totally indifferent. You know, what difference does it make? What difference does church make? What difference does fellowship make? What, what difference does it make to come and sit in Darlene's class? You know, I, it's all crowded. You got all them ladies stuffed in there, you know. You, no place to go. You got to stand up and teach. And, you know, well, I don't need to go. Some people are just indifferent, you know. I don't want to go to that. And somebody who's spiritually full or just has no spiritual appetite, they are indifferent to the things of of God. Then number five, some are good people. Now, when I say good people, you know, you look at their life and and, uh, they're model neighbors, you know, they don't throw eggs in your car or anything like that. They're, you know, they're just good folks. You know, you like to be around them. They... They don't uh, smoke or cuss or chew or run around with all the girls who do, you know. Um, you know, just kind of good people, okay? Some are good people who see no real need for them. They don't see any real need for the gospel in their life. And so there's no spiritual appetite because they don't perceive any real need. Then the, you've got number six. Some are so full of the world they have no hunger. I mean, they're so filled with an appetite for the things of the world and for recreation and for leisure and for things and for accomplishments and for, you know, they're so full of, of, uh, uh, of how do I get the most out of this world that they have no spiritual appetite at all. The only thing that's, the only thing that's, really, that, that's really of interest to them is what's the next place I'm going to? What's the next party I'm going to? What's the next event what's the next thing i need to enjoy and so they have no spiritual appetite so they have no hunger at all they're just so full of the world number seven there are some that are full of the practice of religion the practice of religion well i come to church and i'm here for sunday morning i'm here for sunday night i'm i'm here and i uh, you know, I do everything around the church, and they're so full of religion and religious activities, there's really no spiritual hunger for Christ. And above all, knowing Him. Do you know you can, you can be real religious and have no appetite? And what happens is people substitute church activity for a relationship with Christ. I've known some guys who, um, uh, who substitute like a lodge. Uh, I've known some who are in the, uh, uh, the Masonic Lodge, and that, that's their church. You know, forgetting the fact that it's got all kinds of theological heresies about it. And by the way, folks, when I say that, some of you might be lodge members. You're looking at a past master counselor, D. Malay, which is as high up in the teen organization of it you can get. And... My grandfather was not only Lodge and Blue Lodge, he was Shine, Shriner and York Rite. And my dad and my father-in-law were 32nd-degree uh, Masons. And I come from a long line of Masonic families. But folks, there's a lot of spiritual heresy in that. More than, and I know I'm going to step on some of y'all's toes, but you better open your eyes. And that goes to Eastern Star, Okay. 
I might as well make all of you mad. You know, let's let's talk about you know who next. Job's daughters. I mean, come on, let's take them all on, okay? But folks, what we what happens is we have the practice of religious activities, and some people even substitute lodges because there's a Bible on an altar, and they say, well, look, it's Christian. Well, in a lodge, they can also have the Koran on that altar too. It doesn't matter which God, you know. But we can get so full of religious, the practice of religion that we forget we don't have any appetite, no spiritual appetite for really and hunger for knowing the Lord. I'll tell you what, I might have to get a different mic. This thing, is just, it just doesn't fit my ear. I'm going to get one and put it right down here, all right? Anyway, I'll correct that, all right? I'll correct that. Piece of tape. A staple. Maybe that'll help, all right? But I know it's distracting, so I might as well just say it, and let's get it over with, and let's go on, all right? All right. Uh, number eight, some are full of the rank and file of the gospel because it's good for the poor. It's good for poor folks to be religious because that kind of keeps them in line. Gives them something to do. Gives them the right uh, uh, character qualities so that they behave themselves. And there are, some, there are people who look at religious or look at Christianity as, well, it's, it's just rank and file. It's a good thing for the poor to do. And these are folks with one of these eight characteristics are people who are folks who have no spiritual appetite. Did any one of them strike you? Philippians 2, 3 and 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. And that goes for the poor. Consider them better than yourselves. Why? Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's some character qualities of people who have no spiritual appetite. But what about when somebody's hungry? What's life like when somebody's hungry? Uh, I, I, there are many examples, but I want to give you three here, okay? When somebody's hungry, it's a result of their spiritual perspective. For instance, forgiveness in Luke 7, 36 through 47. There you have someone who was forgiven many sins. Let me set the stage for you. Jesus went into a Pharisee's house, reclined for dinner. And as they recline, his feet is sticking out. And this woman of ill repute came into the house and took an alabaster box full of the most precious ointment. And in fact... The scripture tells us it was worth one year's wages. Now, what was the biggest year that you worked in your wages? How much did you make? What's your IRS income say? That's how much it cost her. She took that alabaster box, and she just didn't dip in it and use a little of it. She broke it, spilled it out. The perfume filled the room, and she wiped his feet with that perfume and took her hair and washed his feet. And the Pharisee was saying, you know, if Jesus knew who that woman was, he wouldn't let her even touch him. Now Jesus, you knew he was God, because perceiving what his host was thinking, he said, Simon, when I came into your home, 
and typical hospitality in that day because you went to a public bath and you went to a public bath and you bathed, you had clean clothes with you. You put on your clean clothes after you bathed, but you put your sandals on when you walk back home, your feet get dirty, right? Just from your sandals in the road. There wasn't anything paved, they paved there was no sidewalks. So your feet would get dirty. So when you entered the home, they would offer a basin of water and you'd wash your feet so that you'd be clean all over when you entered the home. He said, Simon, when I came into your home, you didn't offer me even a basin of water for my feet. And yet she is washing my feet with a fragrant perfume. And the fragrance of it filled the room, it said. What was going on? You know why this woman did that and with her tears? It's because of forgiveness. She'd been forgiven. He said, who would be the one who um, would be the most uh, joyful? The one who was forgiven just a few sins or one who was forgiven a great many sins? He said, oh, I'm sure the one who's given a great many sins would be more grateful. He said, that's exactly what has happened here. All of her sins are forgiven. And so when somebody is spiritually hungry, they have tasted forgiveness. They've tasted the grace of God and what it's like to be forgiven. And you never quite get over that. That's forgiveness. Somebody who has a spiritual appetite is also has an expectancy about them. They look ahead to what might come. And that, we find that in Luke chapter 2 when Jesus, after just a few days, was brought to the temple. And there he met two people, Simeon and Anna, the prophetess. Simeon was promised by God, his faith, because of his faithfulness, God promised, he says, your eyes will not close, you will not die, until you see the Messiah. And when Jesus came, he held that baby, he says, now I can rest because I've seen God's salvation. Expectancy. Simeon was hungry. He, he was just hungry for the... Um, for the things of God, and because of that, he was expectant, looking for him. God's going to do something great. Anna the prophetess, she was the same way. You know, she had lived as a, as a widow for, for years and years in the temple. And she had great expectancy. She was so hungry for the things of God, and when her eyes saw Christ, she said, now I can rest too. Because when a person is spiritually hungry, they have an expectancy. We all had an expectancy. Me, Susanna, her brother, his wife, we all had a real expectancy for uh, old Jackson. We just knew God was going to do it. Didn't know when, didn't know how. It just happened to be last night. But I just expect God to do something. And he did. Also, somebody with, with spiritual hunger, spiritually hungry, will have gratitude, will be part of their heart. It, it, they'll just have this gracious attitude. You know, I like to be around people who got saved and never got over it, you know. Uh, there, there are people like that. You know, there are folks who, who get saved, and after a few years, you know, they go, uh. In fact, where I grew up in my home church as a kid, I remember when I came to Christ, and I was, oh, about 12 years old, 11, 12 years old, something like that. Um, I, I was so excited. I mean, what had happened? I mean, I'd been around Jesus. I'd been in vacation Bible school. I'd been around the gospel, but all of a sudden, God just opened my eyes, and when I received Christ, wow, I mean, 
I remember when I was baptized, I came up out of the water. I thought I was going right on to heaven. Man, I was ready. This is exciting. I can't believe this. And, uh, but you know what it was like around my house and around my church? I, now, don't get too carried away with this. Cool off. You'd be like the rest of us. And that was the only kind of Christianity that I saw for about 10 years. And so I had 10 years of kind of a spiritual desert because I didn't see... I didn't see that graciousness, that gratitude, that expectancy, that, um, uh, that just forgiveness. It was like, no, culturally, this is what we do. You know, we come to this red brick building and it's got the white colonnades outside Southern Baptist Church and we do our Sunday thing and then we go home. And then we come back next day and we do the same thing. I, I like what Carrie said this morning, you know, about people looking around there and singing. I have watched people sing solos and stuff like that, and they go, how great thou art. You know, I look at them, I think, man, I don't know what you got, but I don't want it. <laughs> you know, I'm just looking at your face, and it's just not there, you know. So, gratitude. Here in Luke 17, if, and all these are out of Luke, these stories, but in Luke 17, there were 10 lepers who were healed. How many of them came back and thanked Jesus? Only one. And what was he? Was he an Israelite? No, he was a Samaritan. He was a Samaritan. And yet, he was, he was just overflowing with gratitude because he'd been healed. And see, that's spiritual hunger. That's another uh, indication of somebody who is spiritually hungry, just filled with gratitude. And when you have a, a, an attitude of gratitude about your life, you know, people can't do anything that's going to hurt you. People can't say anything. You know, I've got a lot of folks say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. I say, you're going to have to, there ain't nothing you can say or do that's going to make me love you any less. Now, some of you are easier to love than others, okay? There are some, but, but there ain't nothing you can say or do that's going to make me love you any less. So that's the difference between having a spiritual appetite and not having a spiritual appetite. Now, steps of action. What if, what if you have, you say, man, my, my spiritual appetite just isn't what it used to be. I mean, there was a day that I just saw the sky bluer and the air fresher and cleaner. And, and you know, how do you take steps of that? What are the steps of action you can take to regenerate and get that hunger back? Well, here's some thoughts for you, okay? Developing your own spiritual appetite. A, I think this is an obvious one. Read your Bible, okay? Oh, Brother Dave, that's so simple. okay. Read your Bible. <laughs> That'll give you a spiritual appetite. I find if I get down and on, I get to where I'm kind of indifferent. And I start reading it again. All of a sudden, all those stories and the glory of God, what he did to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt, just that alone just gets me all excited. That's the same God I serve today. You know, just read the scripture. It's not stories. It's history. These are real people, real events, real things that really happened. So read your Bible. Here's just a few things that the scripture says about that. Hebrews eleven six. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, do you want God to reward you? Do you want God to really be active in your life? Then what do you have to do? Seek him. Seek him. Where are you going to find him? In the word. That's where you're going to find him. Oh, I can find him out on my fishing boat. Fishing. How many of you really believe that? <laughs> David, David, yeah, 
<laughs> you can maybe, but most folks, they're so, they're so filled up with the leisures and the recreation, they don't think about Christ. Read the Word. And then Isaiah 55, 1 and 2 says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. See, that's God just extending an invitation to you. Come to me. Come, get into the Word. Eat of the Word. It doesn't cost you anything. Read it. Come to Him. That's how you develop special appetite. Psalms 34.10. The lions may grow weak and we're hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Let's read that together, okay? The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. No, what's the operative word there? Those who seek Him. Do you desire Him? Do you seek Him? Dave, when you first saw Marcia, did you, did you try to get her attention? Did you pursue her? Oh, golly. I, uh, all right. All right, well, you sought him out, right? Now look what you got. Now look what you got. Oh, man, sorry. Same way with the Lord. You know, if you, wanna, if you, if you really want to fall in love with him, if you really want that appetite back, that hunger for Him, you've got to seek Him. And that takes time. That takes time. Another verse down here, Psalms 37, 34. Wait for the Lord and keep His way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. You'll see it. It's going to happen. So wait for the Lord. Have an expectancy. Have a hunger. Seek Him. And you'll see His power. You'll see His glory, okay? Now, that's the first way. Read the book. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. B, how do you develop your own appetite? B, read biographies of great Christians. What are you reading? If you're all just reading only magazines and only catalogs and only the Internet, um, you know, read biographies of great Christians. See what they experienced. Read what they went through. Read the trials they went through, the struggles, the conflict that they had. You'll find a lot of, uh, in their biographies, you'll find a lot of the same hunger and the same struggles of life that you have. You know, those missionaries that went through the great Shantung revival, like Bertha Smith, you know that just a few months before, they got into a big, I mean, knockdown, drag out fight with each other. Just ugly, ugly. You know, see, missionaries don't walk, well, it's not that way in our, our house. We walk around, God bless you, God bless you, mother and our sister, you know. Uh, <laughs> wrong, you know. We got struggles like everybody else. And so read biographies of great Christians, and you'll see the struggles. You'll identify them, and you'll see how they overcame those. And the hunger that God, because when God saw those hungry hearts, man, all of a sudden, he blessed them. Seek it, you'll see it. You'll see it. C, this is another one. This is a good one. Hang out with other Christians. 
just hang out with other Christians, okay? In other words, in a word, fellowship. Find opportunities to get with other believers. Uh, you say, well, I don't know. I'm a little bashful. I, nobody invites me over for dinner. You know, you, to, be a, to get a friend, you got to be a friend. And to get a friend, you need to invite them to your house. Invite them into your home. Invite them to have lunch with you after church. Already here, we're going to get done. Everybody's going to be hungry in spite of all that you ate Monday. Okay? And all that that you're going to eat tomorrow. <laughs> you're going to be hungry at noon today. So hang with some friends. Find some folks here and hang out with other Christians. That's the way you develop spiritual appetite. You listen to their stories. You listen to who they are. You listen to their struggles. You, you share life with each other. That's how you develop a spiritual appetite. You know, ask people, what you doing? And they say, well, I can't today. Well, okay, that's all right. Don't give up. Don't give up, right? Brian, did, when you asked Amber out the first time, did she say yes the very first time? Or did you have to, had to ask, keep asking, didn't you? Paid off, didn't it? Seek, knock, okay, finally. Finally, you got, you got her. Okay. It's the same way. Just hang out with other believers. And, and don't give up just because uh, once or twice. That, because schedules or other things just might not work out, you know. But hang out with other Christians. It's called fellowship. D. This is an important one. To develop your own spiritual appetite, monitor your media intake. Monitor your media intake. Uh, music. What kind of music do you listen to? Uh, if you're listening to rap and you got the bass turned up, you're real high, and it, you know you got ear damage from that. You know, it, does that bring praise? Does that speak to your soul? Fill your life and surround yourself with praise music. Praise. It's amazing what music does. In fact, that's why, why do you think they have all this background music in department stores and stuff? Because if it's comfortable, it's a neat setting and you want to spend time, you want to hang around. And so they have music that lifts your spirit. Now, if they've learned that, how to get more money out of your pocketbook, what about, you know, silence can sometimes be threatening. So fill your, your, your life with praise music. And if you don't know about praise music uh, I can suggest some groups to you that 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 have great praise music like Selah is one uh, some missionary kids that started singing and man they're uh, the Gettys is another just people who praise the Lord so monitor your media intake watch what you're listening to you know if you listen just to country western music then you know all you're going to be thinking about is Grandma got run over by a train after she, you know, shot my dog with her. <laughs> Some of the crazy lyrics, and people live off that stuff. So monitor your media with music. Monitor your media intake in television. What are you watching? Um, and by the way, I want to include here heretical doctrine. There are some preachers, and there are some people on the tube that are preaching heresies as well. So monitor your media intake. And if you're not sure, then listen to him. I've got one fellow, I, I mean, I, I took issue with him because of uh, 
of something he said about uh, that, that the Jews are going to make it to heaven without Christ. I, I'm sorry. I, I don't care how big a church you got and how big your media is and how big your, your television audience is. That's not what the Word says. Um, and when I mentioned that in a message one time, boy, I had a lady just like take my head off. I listen to him all the time. I got all blah, 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 Bible studies. And I go, darling, there's a lot of good things he teaches, but that's one of them that doesn't fit. And all I was trying to bring about was just watch your media intake. Be sure you're... Now, how do you know what's counterfeit and what's real? You know how you know it? You read the Bible. And if you know the Scripture, you'll recognize counterfeit doctrine when it comes to you. Uh, reading. Just monitor your media intake. Now, how do you kill an appetite? Let's say you have a spiritual appetite or you used to have one. How does one kill a spiritual appetite? Well, here's some thoughts. Well, the same way you kill a physical appetite, you eat what? Sweets. You eat sweets. You know, my mom would always, you know, when I was growing up as a kid, she'd always try to keep me from grabbing the pie or candy or divinity or something like that before we ate supper. You know why? Because of just a few pieces of that, and my appetite was gone. In the same way that you can kill a physical appetite by eating sweets, chocolate fudge, divinity, chocolate chip cookies, all the things that I just absolutely love. Um, the way to kill a physical appetite, the way to kill a spiritual appetite is the same way. So what are the, what are the sweets? Well, the sweets of this earth, leisure, recreation. You know, you can kill a spiritual appetite by so eating and indulging in the good things or the tasty things of this earth that you don't have a spiritual appetite anymore because all you're possessed with is a desire to, uh, for recreation or leisure. That's why uh, uh, we, we had a house that we bought and had, uh, had a couple acres and, and I got a riding lawnmower and I went out there and started mowing the grass and I came back in and Susanna looks out and she says what'd you mow? I said well I mowed around here 20 minutes what 20 minutes you didn't finish the rest of the 20 minutes that's all I'm giving it <laughs> that's it man all the grass I'm going to cut is 20 minutes worth you know uh, and so she got on it and found out she really liked riding the lawnmower which pleased me and her both so um, now how'd I get off on that I don't know <laughs> I promise you this, I'll pay for it later, you know. <laughs> See there? And I want to, darling, I'll pay for that later, all right. Ah, uh, okay, uh, all right. Let's just leave that one behind, all right. <laughs> but but you, can, uh, you can kill a spiritual appetite by indulging in the sweets that the, that the earth gives you. Leisure. Now, B, another way you can kill a spiritual appetite is busyness. That's B-U-S-Y hyphen N-E-S-S. Busy. Ness. That's exactly what happened to Martha in Luke chapter 10. She was so busy in the preparations, so busy in preparing the meal, so busy in being a good hostess that she missed and she lost a spiritual appetite. She wasn't interested in listening to what the Lord had to say. She just wanted to please Him in His home. Now be careful about busyness. You can get so busy in life. You can fill your life and your calendar full of so many busy activities. You don't have time for him. That's the way you kill a spiritual appetite.
one of the ways. C is priorities out of order. Sometimes you can kill a spiritual appetite by just getting your priorities out of order. Instead of him being the focus and the Lord Jesus being the priority of your life, you have other priorities that fall in place. It's, it's easy to do that sometimes when you're raising children. You know, you've got this ball game and that ball game and this tap dance lesson and this music lesson and this and this and this. And all of a sudden, your life gets so full of activities, there's no time for even a husband-wife relationship, let alone time for the Lord. Children are temporary in your life. Tem- ch- children come into your life for a season and then they're gone. Always keep the husband and wife relationship central, center, okay? So get your priorities. Be sure your priorities are right. Three, pray for spiritual appetite to develop in others. Pray that God might develop this in other people. Let me share with you the story. In 1949, um, Duncan Campbell wrote of, he was a great evangelist during uh, World War II in Great Britain. And he t- shares the story in 1949, there was a blacksmith in Lewis, Scotland, L-E-W-I-S, Lewis, Scotland. And this blacksmith was so burdened for the people of Lewis and its surrounding area that there was no spiritual hunger. The war had been won. Now everybody was settling back in. Everybody's coming back home and they're building homes and family. And, and they had, he seems like lost a spiritual appetite. And this blacksmith got so burdened for that He got up and he prayed, and it was only a half-hour prayer, but he just prayed, Lord, bring a spiritual appetite and hunger back to Lewis, Scotland. And then he went down to the church at 2 o'clock in the morning, 2 a.m., and he opened the doors, and people started coming, bringing their own chairs And the place absolutely filled to capacity, spilled out. They opened the windows of the little church for folks to hear the message of the gospel being preached. He prayed for spiritual appetite to be birthed in others. And now, folks, that's a miracle. If we all of a sudden just prayed and say, Lord, create a spiritual appetite in Osprey, Florida. And people brought their folding chairs to be sure they had a place to sit. We serve the same God. He hadn't changed. So it can happen. That's what you get from reading biographies of great Christians. You find out things that God has done just even in recent days. Finally, let me, let me close with these last four here. Four, create an appetite in others. How do you create an appetite in others? Well, here's just some suggestions for you. Tell the lost what Christ has done for you. Tell people what Jesus has done in your life. That may create a spiritual appetite in them saying, well, if God can do that in your life, maybe he can do that in mine. A second is tell the, of the new desires that you have. You know, by my turning my attention to Christ, here's some of the new things, desires. I've got a new deep desire for to see this and to see this and to see this happen tell people about not only the new new desires but tell them of the new pardons that you've received the forgiveness that you've experienced the joy tell them about the joy that's come from the forgiveness of loving other people and and seeing them forgive you and you forgive them tell other people about that 
that can create a spiritual uh, hunger in other folks. The scripture says we overcome them, the, the enemy, how? By the blood of the lamb and the power of our testimony. So these are testimonies. Tell, share your testimony about what the blood of Christ has done in your life. Tell of new hope you've received. New hope, new vision, new, a new day, a new life. Dr. P.W. Philpott was the pastor of the Moody Bible Church in Chicago, Illinois. And this was in about 1920s. And there was a young lady, Leela Long, who was visiting Chicago and was just deathly sick. And they called for the elders of the church, say, would you come pray? And so Dr. Philpott and some men went over to this home in Chicago and prayed for Leela. That was... Um, and he didn't see or hear from her again until he'd become pastor of the Open Door Church in Los Angeles, California. And in 1924, Leela Long shows up in his church and said, Dr. Philpott, do you remember me? He said, I'm sorry, I don't. It's been a long time and a lot of miles. Tell me. She says, well, I'm the young lady you came and prayed for in Chicago. And she said, God has given me, raised me up, healed me, and has given me... Uh, a desire to write songs and I have this song and I'd like to give it to you God just I have this and I, and I want to give it to you he said well and as he read the words he asked her he says well Leela what inspired you to write this song she said a friend that we have run into here in Los Angeles was a medical missionary in China remember the year is 1924 pre-revolution pre Mao Tse-Sing pre-World War II um, said a medical doctor working in uh, China shared the gospel with every patient every patient that came to him he'd share the gospel with very simple gospel presentations but with every one of them and he said he told me the story of an old lady an old Chinese woman that was all bent over from age and she had walked many many days not hours days to come to see this doctor. And he shared the gospel with her, and she left. And about a week later, she shows up again. Now, he knew where she lived and the time that it took, and here she is, all bent over, very aged, and she came to him, and she told this medical doctor, she says, when I was here last, you told me the story of a man who has come to live in my life. He's given me such joy. He's, he says, I know I'm going to heaven. My sins are forgiven. He's living in my life. But sir, I have forgotten his name. Can you tell me his name again? And so the doctor shared with him, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And she repeated the name over and over and over again. And finally she walked out and that's all she could say as she walked back home. Days, hunched over, aged, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And the song that Leela Long wrote was this. Jesus is the sweetest name I know, and he's just the same as his lovely name. And that's the reason why I love him so. Oh, Jesus is the sweetest name I know.
Let's pray. Father, I pray, Lord Jesus, you would be the sweetest name that we utter, that you'd awaken in each of us a new spiritual appetite. We walk into a new year in just a few hours, and it's nothing. It's just a day on a calendar, but it represents a new year and a time where we start thinking about new life, new things, redirections, and I pray, Father, that among all the things that we resolve to do, that we think about, that we contemplate, that, Father, we would focus our attention on developing our spiritual appetite. That, Father, we might have on our lips that song. Jesus is the sweetest name I know. And he's just the same as his lovely name. God, give us that appetite. Help us guard our heart that we might grow in our love for you. Now, their heads bowed, our eyes closed for another moment. I'm going to conclude this prayer. But as I conclude this prayer, before I do, I wonder, do you have the same wonder about that one who's come to live in your life as that Chinese-aged woman who said, Sir, I've just forgotten his name. Please tell me his name. Do you have that kind of hunger? Do you need it restored? Maybe what you need to pray right now is, Lord Jesus, restore in me the joy of my salvation. Whatever it is that you need to say to him, ask him to renew that spiritual hunger that you had that first day, that first moment that you met him. Now, as believers are wrestling with that in their own life, I wonder if you're that one who's here today. Maybe you don't know Christ. Maybe he holds no wonder to you. And you've been distracted and your mind is off and your whole direction and purpose of life is somewhere else. And you didn't even realize you needed a Savior. Dear one, I want to invite you to come to that one who loves you enough to die for you. And it's as simple as ABC to A, acknowledge that you're a sinner and that sin has separated you from my holy God. Then be believe. Believe that he loved you enough. God loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son. And he says in scripture, if you believe in him, you will not perish but have everlasting life. But the step you need to take is see to call on him. The scripture says, Whoever, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Maybe you need to call on him. Say, Jesus, save me, a sinner. Would you say that to him? If you've never done that before in your life, just, Lord Jesus, save me, a sinner. Father, whatever it is you're doing in each person's life, and I know there are as many different needs in this room as there are people, and you meet them. I don't know how you do it, but it's an amazing thing to me how you meet every person right at the point of their need. So God... You've heard our prayers. You see our hearts. You know our needs. 
Now, Father, we're yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to close with an invitation. The invitation is just that. I want to invite you to respond to whatever it is that God's calling you to do. Now, there may be some that need to, you, you might need to just come and kneel here at the front. And you might need to stay three minutes, five minutes. You might need to spend the rest of the day. I don't know. But if you need to come and just kneel and pray and do business with God, we would invite you to do that. There may be someone here today and you're a believer or just given your life to Christ or maybe have given your life to Christ but never come out of the shadows and put on the full uniform of church membership taking your rightful place in the household of faith, then I want to invite you to do that. I want, and here's how we do that. We're going to stand together and sing uh, just a simple song. In fact, as Carrie plays, I want to invite you, as soon as we stand, to come and join me here. And I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to turn you around. Maybe say anything or do anything. Your presence here says it all. Your presence says today, I'm going God's way. And I'm not ashamed of Christ. I want the world to know he's mine. That's the invitation. One of our people will get with you, spend just a moment in prayer with you, and then uh, you, can, you can leave. It, it could be that maybe you don't have, say, I don't know what I need. I need something. That something is someone, his name is Jesus. It could be you're already a believer, and you're looking for a church home, and God's telling you, you belong in this place. Now's the day. Now's the time. So I want you to be the very first one down the aisle, and we'll start the process of folding in the life of our church, okay? So whatever it is that you need to do, do it now as we stand together. Carrie, would you play for us? Is there one who would join me right here? It says, Today, I want the world to know 